Good morning, everybody. Turn to the person next to you and said, that was good. And some, some of you don't like to be told what to do. I know that, but uh, just humor me for a second. I also, I, I can't, I cannot miss the opportunity to invite you to participate in this choir. If I can do it, The proof is in the pudding, right? If I can do it, almost everyone can do it. <laughs> uh, but certainly want to invite you. It is, a, it, is, it, is, it is a choir, yes, but it's also a wonderful opportunity to connect with one another around a common purpose to use the gift God has given you, and it is a lot of fun. And Don is right on time. Every week on Thursday, 7, and we're done at 8 o'clock. And this is what you get with just one hour. And so, one hour of your time, if you would like to connect with us and you can sing, you don't have to read music, but you would like to be a part of a group, we invite you to join us. I want to invite you now to stand one last time with me before I preach, and we're going to say this prayer together before I read the Scripture. So, after the prayer, I'm going to invite you to keep standing until I have read the Scripture. Let's pray together. Lord... Open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, very familiar portion of scripture, perhaps verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. Joining God on the mountain seems to be what happens in the Bible. A place of theophany, we say, a place of revelation, perhaps appropriate in this season, a place of epiphany. It is on the mountaintop that Moses receives the ethic for God's people that we render the Ten Commandments. It is on the mountain that he gets a revelation, a a just passing glimpse of the divine. And it is from that encounter with God that Moses would descend and give the people the teaching that was fundamental, critical, essential to forming God's people. Now, there are the mountaintop experience like the one involving the prophet Elijah. Remember when he goes toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament? Let's see whose God is real. Let's see whose God shows up and alights the offering that has been placed on the altars. And it says in Scripture that the, prophet, uh, the prophets of Baal pray and, and cry out, and they even start to, to, to harm themselves in an effort to draw attention to their gods. But no flame, <laughs> no fire, not even a match, elect. And then, of course, the prophet of God cries out to God, and God sends the fire from on high that consumes not only the, the offering, but the water in the ditches around it, so powerful, so mighty, so Significant is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he listens to the prayer of the prophet and he reveals to everyone as witness that he is the true and living God. And then Elijah runs. He runs from one mountaintop experience to another and there in the the cleft of a rock, in the crevice of a rock atop the mountain, he is despairing. Isn't it amazing sometimes when we can have mountaintop experiences, but it's fleeting? Isn't it perhaps despairing that that sometimes we can encounter God Uh, You know, I I remember a few years ago, someone was trying to explain why they don't come to church on Sunday mornings to me, and they said, you know, Pastor, I don't have to encounter God in the church on a Sunday morning. I said, I'm glad to hear you don't believe that God is restricted to this building. And they said to me, you know, where I most encounter God, Pastor Stu, is, is when I'm on those rocky mountains, I'm not a mountaineer. (laughs) The idea of going uphill is just exhausting in my mind. (laughs) And And they spoke with such enthusiasm and such passion and such excitement that when they are in God's country, atop one of his most beautiful creations, that there they experience 
the divine shining upon them. I thought that was beautiful. But it's interesting to me, and this is not really part of the sermon, it's just grace, unearned favor. That those who ascend the mountain of God and encounter God often recognize that the encounter is not the end to their life in God, but indeed they would have to live dependent on God from mountain to valley. Now it is there in the cleft of the rock that Elijah cries out, and there, according to the Scripture, God was not in the, the thunder or in the, in, 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 the, in, the, in the noise and in the giant uh, seismic shifts of things, but he was, he was the gentle voice in the breeze. And I like the fact that God does not only speak to us on Sunday mornings through preaching and great singing and worship, but God can show up even in the moments of despair. I love the fact that the God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. Uh, the God that meets us in the places of momentous experience and knowing is also the God that walks with us in the moments of despair and uncertainty. I think the challenge is, is that oftentimes we do not believe He is there. Jesus has just gone through His baptism through the waters like Moses parted the waters, liberating the people from Egyptian slavery. Jesus enters the baptismal waters and makes a new way for all people through his life and example. He enters the wilderness like the Israelites entered the wilderness. And there, like the Israelites were tempted for 40 years, he is tempted for 40 days. Jesus seems to be fulfilling that which the people of God were called to do and is walking in the same ways as the people are walking. In fact, one of the most important ways, I think, to understand the text is that Jesus, like Moses, ascends the mountain of God and there receives from God, receives the way of life for the people of God. And so one way to understand all of what's happening in Matthew's gospel is to see that Jesus is about fulfilling. He's not about canceling out Israel. He's not about saying, you know, you, 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 yeah, you were not good enough, therefore God has nothing to do with you, but he comes. He comes to do that which we could not do for ourselves. He comes to fulfill that which we were powerless to fulfill. And so, he ascends a mountain. And it says he ascends the mountain when he sees the crowds that were following him. Now, Jesus is not running away from the crowds. At least that's what most biblical scholars are saying. <laughs> Can you ever imagine that a man of God does not want to be with the people of God? The fact that you're not certain worries me. I mean, after all, everybody needs a break. Jesus, incarnationally speaking, was just like us. But here we see again 
that there's more to it than meets the eye. Jesus ascends the mountain not to escape the crowds, but to fulfill that which God has always intended to do. And the crowds are in view, but it is really a specific group that he now addresses. He speaks specifically to his disciples. You know, discipleship in the Gospel of Matthew is about following Jesus. And like the crowds, the disciples follow him. But what distinguishes a disciple from the crowd in the Gospel of Matthew is that the disciples go wherever Jesus goes once he calls them. The crowds have sporadic engagement with Jesus in the Gospels. They are present in certain places and certain times, but their following does not persist all the way. Disciples go all the way to the crucifixion. And even there, as they kind of scatter in the fear of the consequences of believing in this Messiah that would die and be raised again, they are the ones that most stick close to Jesus. If there's a just a lesson out of Matthew's gospel, I would say this way, that Matthew defines for the church that discipleship is about following Jesus, not only up on mountains, but even to the place of sacrifice, so that we may believe and trust in his resurrection. And sometimes following Jesus is hard. Now get an Amen. It's not always easy. And so Jesus is speaking to those whom he first called as disciples. And uh, and even though he is speaking to them, I I want you to to just look at the text with me. It's like when he ascends and sees the crowds at the base of the mountain. We're not quite sure which mountain this is. But as he ascends and, and, and the disciples follow after him, he has this particular crowd in mind that had gathered. In the previous chapter, the crowd is described as those who come from from the Gentile regions. Remember last week I spoke about Naphtali and Zebulun. He started to do his ministry in the place that was forgotten, the place that was dark. And he draws people out of the darkness who begins to follow him. The scripture says there were also people from Judea, in particular Jerusalem, the place that Jews had long for restoration. The coming Messiah would rule from Jerusalem over all the earth and make sure everything is put back the way that the people of God wants him to. The sum end of all of that is to say this, the crowd that gathers is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, people that had longing, people that had been disappointed, people that had once walked with God and have wondered if God had forgotten them. The crowd that gathers on the base of the mount where the Beatitudes is given is a mixed group of despairing people awaiting and longing for a Messiah, and they are hoping that Jesus is it. People have a problem with the Beatitudes. Anybody have a problem with the Beatitudes? My staff is not shy to tell me which scripture they don't like. Because it seems so strange to be blessed for the things listed. I think one way to help us understand what is going on here is to recognize that it's not just this kind of prescriptive determination. In other words, become meek. You know... uh, mourn, then you will be blessed. I think what is happening in the text is Jesus is 
pointing his disciples towards the meek and the mourning. He is highlighting for them the, those who are longing for peace. He is speaking to those who, who needs mercy. He is teaching them what it means to repent and see that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And one of the most significant ways that disciples have to learn to repent is they need to see what God wants them to see. He, uh, disciples need to see the kingdom of God as Jesus presents it and not the kingdom of their own aspirations. Kingdoms that, that are defined by meek and mourning people and peacemakers are not the kingdoms of the world. These are not the things that we think constitutes the mighty revolutionary work of establishing a kingdom. But Jesus is inviting his disciples to repent from the ways in which they have fashioned in their own expectation and experience who constitutes the work of the kingdom. Are you still with me? I tried to say that well, I don't know if I did. The wonderful thing about being able to preach every Sunday is I can fix it over the next few weeks. <laughs> and so, discipleship is not just about following Jesus up mountains and down into the valley, but discipleship is learning to see who constitutes the kingdom. If there's a problem that the text just makes so abundantly clear, it points our eyes. If you feel the discord of the text, if you feel the disharmony between what blessing is and what is being described as blessing, it's because it is so unusual to see the world through the eyes of Christ. It is so challenging to look and see grace and mercy and peacemaking and even those who mourn because they loved much as a constituent part of the movement of God. It's so easy to ignore the kinds of people that Christ says, I have come for. They are blessed not because they mourn, but because I will turn their mourning into joy. I um, have used this illustration before, and if you've heard it before, just pretend it's the first time you're hearing it. I don't know, there are some people that may be colorblind in our church, but I remember once seeing a little video clip of a of a dad, no, it was a little boy who received these glasses that enable people who are colorblind to see color. Has anybody seen that clip? Did you cry? What's wrong with you, Sam? <laughs> Why is your heart not more tender? <laughs> it's okay, you're in the right place. <laughs> I love you, Sam. I, I love your rhythm. I love your joy. I love that your family is part of this community. 
I love that I saw your wife taking an Uber or a taxi to be here for practice a few weeks ago, and I thought, man, that's commitment. I love the fact that you stay home to care for your boy so that she can participate. And I love that she does the same for you. But besides the point, the family was excited to give these glasses to the little boy, and I don't know if he anticipated what they would do for him. But when he put it up, they had balloons all over the place, <laughs> bright colored balloons. And the sheer expression on his face when his eyes opened to see color for the first time, it made me cry. Now, some of you say, Stu, you cry at the most silly things. But there was something beautiful about someone who had seen the world in the colors of gray, without the beauty, and can you imagine what it would be like? This, a few weeks ago, a week ago, I bought my wife, in my opinion, my mom was a florist, by the way, so I know that the proper name for baby's breath is not baby's breath, but chipsophilin, okay? <laughs> I know how to cut roses so that they last long. I know what you put in to sustain the life. I know how to put together flower arrangements, Carrie, just so that you know. So I bought my wife. You're a... You're a some of you are just having a hard time today. But anyway, <laughs> bought my wife these roses. And I found out, I was going to give you a little bit of, I'll give you a little bit of insight. You don't have to go to the most expensive florist to get beautiful roses. You know, just need to know what time of the day you need to go or week. And so I got these roses, and I can tell you, they were an array of different colors. And, and I'm not saying this because you, I, you know, I'm trying to, say, to tell you how, what a good husband I am. Because just ask her when the last time was I got a roses before this time, and you'll know. But every day I woke up and I saw the array of color, and I just rejoiced at the beauty of these flowers. I just, I, I just rejoiced. I, I say to everybody that comes into our house, aren't those flowers beautiful? And I think Ruthann is thinking that I'm saying that so that they would ask, well, who gave the flowers? And I would say, well, the good husband did. No, I, I, I was absolutely captivated every day I got up and sat on the couch with my little puppy. And I, and I looked at these flowers and I just appreciated the, the beauty of the color. And in the most simple way, we can, we can see the, that in creation itself, there is a, a beauty that awaits those who are willing to go with Jesus so that, that they would begin to see the grace of God that permeates every aspect of life, even the things that are broken and sorrowful, even the things that are hard to reconcile, even the people who we may avoid and ignore and not look in the eye when they stand next to our car at Tim Hortons, even those whom we don't understand. The Scripture gives us a lens to see the beauty of God's grace that is expansive, extensive, and costly. And he says to the disciples, come up on the mountain with me so that you can see what I see. Let me show you where blessing resides. Let me show you where true power resides. Let me show you where hope will be born. Let me show you where the kingdom draws near. I think this morning... There are two ways in which the Scripture invites us to respond. 
you're saying, Stu, you're not really preaching on the blessed attitudes. I am, but I'm not. I know. Uh, but perhaps this is a way we can engage the text. There are some of us here today who needs to ascend the mountain with God. Our limited view of the kingdom of heaven has meant that we have not allowed God to journey with us into the places and the moments that we are thinking are contrary to his blessing and to his presence. There's some of us today that, that needs to ascend the mountain of God and hear him speak blessing over circumstances and situations and people that we would not have believed God would want to bless. There's some of us like disciples who, who, who maybe are more like the crowd. We, we, we stay at the, at the base of the mountain and we watch what's happening as, as Jesus ascends with his disciples, but we have yet to, to take the step up. This is, this is an invitation for, for, for us to move from being on the periphery uh, to, to grasping the heart of God for the world. This is an invitation for us to see not only ourselves in the light of his grace, but others. This is an opportunity for us to expand where God's blessing may reside. There's dark moments in all of our lives. There's disappointments in all of our lives. There are moments in which we feel meek and weak. There's moments in which we mourn. And by the way, if you compare Matthew to Luke on the same text, it helps us to kind of have this holistic way of what Jesus is teaching. He's not just saying, you know, hungering and thirsting for, for, for spiritual things, even though he, meets, he means that. He, he's also talking about the kingdom drawing near to those who are hungering and thirsting for food and drink. There, there is a sense in which what is happening here is a, is, is a teaching by Jesus that, that expands the perspective of the disciples to not spiritualize at the cost of the physical need, or not to emphasize the physical at the cost of the spiritual, but to recognize in the kingdom of God, Jesus has come to bring wholeness and healing to everybody and everything. It is not just about what happens one day, but it is about what he makes possible today. Some of us as disciples need to see the calling of Jesus Christ as far more than we have made it to be. The kingdom, as far more than we would choose it to be. And in the season of Epiphany, the invitation is to go with Jesus atop the mountain. I say this almost every week. And we were raised to feel guilty about our prayer lives. Can anybody just raise your hand? You feel always inadequate. There's five of us here, who's honest. The rest of you are either too spiritual or you don't want to answer my question. I don't know which way it is. But there is something about learning to spend time with God in His Word. Listen, man. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to lay on guilt. I just wanted you to know there is something about learning, learning to wait on the presence of God in prayer. 
to listen to his word. You know what I found out? I found out that one of the reasons I lacked a consistent prayer life for many years was that I always came to prayer with the expectation that God was going to speak to my needs. <laughs> How silly is that? In fact, one day I had this conviction. I had this conviction that, that uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not praying, uh, you know, consistently. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, God, I need your attention. You know what, what I've discerned? This is just kind of my own journey. This is what I've discerned. God's voice is like the footsteps of a parent coming down the stairwell in your house. After many years, you discern his presence. And you listen to his voice. There may be a second way in which we hear the text, not only as disciples, but perhaps we resonate with the crowd. Ah, we hear the words of Jesus as those whom the Scripture describes. Maybe we're hungry and thirsty. Maybe we're mourning. Maybe we wish that life was just not the way it's turned out. Maybe we're waiting for hope and we're running after positions or titles or job promotions or that perfect partner. I come close, but I'm not it to my wife. You know that. You know what marriage teaches you is you're not that, you're not that good. <laughs> At least you're not as good as you thought you were. <laughs> And then children, that's a whole other journey. But maybe there's some of us trying to, trying to kind of find hope in places that can bring joy and can bring hope, but truly can transform us into the people that God has destined us to be. Sometimes our past hurts and hang-ups, our prejudice, our pain, our wounds, makes us believe that the kingdom of heaven does not draw near to someone like me. I love Jesus because he is the one that does not just go up on the mountain with his disciples, but he comes down into the places, the dark places, the hard places, the Naphtalis and the Zebulins, and shines his light on us. Thanks be to God. Some of you, as I close, and I want to just correct something I said last week. My wife doesn't say, 
<laughs> My wife does not squelch the spirit by telling me I cannot ask for an amen. She says, don't say that when you tell people you're, to say amen to you closing your sermon. So I just want to correct it. So now that I have the permission of my wife to keep going at least another 10 minutes, I will. No, I'm kidding. I wonder this morning if as the worship team comes and, uh, you know, you, you've heard the word proclaimed. You've, it, it might have spoken to you personally. You may, you may desire to, 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 to sing that song as a prayer. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Uh, there's lots of things, Lord, in my life that makes me not want to see what is really there and who He really is. But maybe today I want to pray that you would give me the courage to ask that you would open my eyes. And that perhaps the kingdom is bigger and more present than I have dared to believe it is. Or maybe there is someone here today who says, I am mourning. I am hoping. And I am longing. I'm longing for the, the living water. Stu, I need it every day. I need mercy every day. I need grace every day. Stu, I, I'm that person today crying out, Lord, shine your light on me. Father God, thank you for your word and thank you for your people. Thank you that through simple reflection on your text, we in some ways catch a glimpse of your heart. Your blessing is not reserved for those who are in power necessarily or those who have it all figured out. Your blessing is for those who long for righteousness and are thirsty for you. Your blessing are also with the poor and those who do not have what they need daily. Your blessing is upon all who have you made because you desire to renew all that you've made. Give us eyes to see in this season as we make our way towards journeying as the church through Lent to, to, to being open, to being humble, and to be discerning. In Jesus' name, amen.